0: podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, who are, of course, our very good friends in the grooming business. Now, Halloween's coming up and Michael Myers sure is a scary figure, but the last thing you need is to be too hairy this Halloween. Uh, So luckily our friends at manscaped.com have launched their fourth generation performance package to make sure your pumpkins get the ultimate carving experience on this spooky day. Turn your bite-sized treat into a king-sized candy, or sweet in this case, uh, and join the six million men around the world who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code POLICE. That's right, the code is POLICE. Make the right call this spooky season. It's trick or trim, right? Now, here's what you get uh, with the full moon out and the werewolf going around, uh, it's time to tackle that problem. You use the lawnmower. 4.0. Uh, they use, of course, uh, advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower is easy, the greatest ball trimmer on the planet. Uh, Kevin particularly likes it. And did I mention it's also waterproof you get the performance package with the weed whacker as well which is a nose and ear trimmer that provides all sorts of good things for you uh, then you've got of course uh, the crop preserver which is a ball deodorant and crop reviver ball toner to so make sure everything just stays fresh also manscaped have launched their new body buffer 100 percent antibacterial body scrubber just what you need and you'll even get two free gifts including a pair of boxes and the shed travel bag so all you've got to do is go to the website, manscaped.com, get 20% off plus free shipping. Use the code POLICE, and that's 20% off plus free shipping. There's all sorts of great stuff on there. Say trick or treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny with Manscaped. This is, of course, the Thought Police. Last weekend, the Thought Police visited the Academy of Ideas Battlefest, which was an amazing event where lots and lots of people who believe in free speech decided to get together and talk about stuff, some stuff that nobody really talks about. And we were joined, myself and Kevin O'Sullivan, by Sarah Fillimore, who is a lawyer who's very interested uh, in the good and bad law projects that she's involved in. Uh, she's helped an awful lot of people make sure they don't get arrested for thought crimes. And of course, Frank ferrady who's a sociology professor and a man who's got some ideas right up our sh- Because this entire show lasted for an hour and a half, we've split it into three separate podcasts. That was the end of part one. Stay tuned on the Thought Police for parts two and three. Street. Here's what happened. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Battle of Ideas at Church House, uh, first podcast of the day. It features the Thought Police with Frank Faraday and Sarah Fillimore. I'm going to put this here, if that's all right. feels weird sitting with my back to people, but I'm terribly sorry about that. Uh, you, get, you get to see Kevin instead. Popular demand, I don't want to see your yeah. face. Welcome to the Thought Police. Hello, everybody. And uh, yeah, I'm Mike Graham. He's Kevin O'Sullivan. Hi. Uh, that's Frank Frady. That's Sarah Fillimore. Hello. Um, when I asked these two how they wanted to be introduced, he said a very good-looking man. She said um, a bit of a Thurman, uh, <laughs> but cleverer. Um, <laughs> She may be right about that. Anyway, um, we're going to talk about all sorts of things today. You're going to have a chance to ask us questions and say whatever you want to say. It's going to be made into a podcast that we'll put out uh, probably sometime next week, perhaps. Um, But I guess we're going to start, Kevin, with an explanation of what the Thought Police is. We formed this idea of uh, doing, you know, sort of basically talk radio at the time, only with swearing. Um, We're going to try not to swear too much today Mm -hmm. because there might be people who have sensibilities about that. So try not to say the F word too often. Um, but there's an awful lot that could be. T- <laughs> <laughs> Under the circumstances, that will be very but difficult. There is an awful lot of fucking swear about, to be honest. So, um,
1: <laughs>
0: tell us a bit about Talk Police first.
1: Well, uh, for, we do, for the we older uh, listeners, uh, if you remember Derek and Clive, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, it's kind of Derek and Clive without the laughs. Um, <laughs>, laughs. No, I mean it. it, it it's it's childish sometimes. It's uh, we, we are profane to a ludicrous extent. We swear too much. It is deliberately provocative. Sometimes deliberately offensive. Sometimes I think we probably cross the line, but that's on purpose. Uh, so it's a no holds bar chat between two mates. But we do cover serious issues. Uh, so it's, if you like, it's a bit like a political discussion, a discussion of uh, important issues between two guys as if they were in the pub having a few pints uh, so the language can be and bad and sometimes we bit. are frankly uh, juvenile yeah and I mean it actually
0: generally is recorded in a pub which yeah, really gives it, yeah. extra <laughs> it does help yeah. but, um, but the other thing is that, um, that it is quite surprising in a way that it hasn't been in this very turgid time that we live that it hasn't been banned yet because uh, it goes out on all the usual platforms, Apple Podcasts, you know Spotify, yeah. you know the wokists
1: uh, actually put it out there. I don't think they listen to it because if they did, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it would be. It would we should be. be quiet about this because uh, I think <laughs> both of us do deliberately say things there uh, to uh, engineer a- us getting into trouble, uh, but we never do quite seem to. It will happen one day. I trust yes.
0: me. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Frank and Sarah, welcome. We we don't we normally don't have guests, but but we're delighted to have you guys here because I mean, what a week to do this Battle of Ideas, right? <laughs> We've Absolutely. got a government with no ideas, When they do have an idea. <laughs> when they do have an idea, they change their mind and have a different idea and decide that the first idea was wrong. I mean, can you believe Jeremy Hunt is actually in the government?
2: I mean, Jeremy Hunt is like my nightmare. <laughs> <coughs> I mean, he's the guy that gets everything wrong, you know, sort of with monotonous regularity. But he's also so up his own rear end in the way he d- delivers his statements. He, th- he thinks like he's an expert, political expert, And when you hear him on the Today program, he's got that that tone of voice, which is meant to be reassuring. I'm reassuring you. It's very
0: condescending.
2: Very condescending. He's like so paternalistic that you kind of wonder, how did he ever get elected? Why did people put trust in him? Because it's very, very clear that he really hates and has contempt for all of us, ordinary people. Anybody that isn't from the Hunt family is seen as being morally inferior in some shape or form. Yeah.
0: And, I mean, he's a great advert for what's wrong with the electoral system in this country, isn't he? Because if people like him can get elected, that's why we have to change the system. I think he's
1: a great advert for exactly what's wrong with the modern Conservative Party. It's forgotten what being a Conservative means. This is a guy... Uh, he's now trying to rewrite history. But during the lockdowns, he spoke in, yeah, really passionately and enthusiastically about how the Chinese were dealing with the COVID <laughs> crisis. He's a big COVID, zero COVID fan. And he told the story of his sister who lives in Beijing. And it was it, uh, you, you can watch it. Get, look the video up on Google. He <laughs> said, now, my sister, she lives in Beijing. Now, when she flew back to China, the police were waiting. And they took her to her apartment and they locked her in and they checked <laughs> and, and they made sure she didn't come out for two weeks yeah. uh, she, great. Yeah. He, he now says that he uh, was an opponent of lockdowns, he was not, he loves yeah. lockdowns no. and this is the problem with the modern Tory party is they've forgotten the tenet of t- conservatism that appeals to me and that is uh, a protection of liberty, our liberty mm. libertarianism uh, and uh, people like uh, Jeremy Hunt have no concept of that whatsoever no. He's a paternal. And Sarah, he's impossibly
0: Protection rich as well. I don't know where they find these guys who have made so much money. I mean, I'm not against people being wealthy no. at all, but you know, he's got so much money that you think, how did you get that much money?
3: Well I think it's very interesting It's illustrative of a wider problem isn't it Which came first, the collapse of the elites And our respect for them Or the collapse of the ability to think Mm. So I'm not sure which came first But they're both now feeding into each other And they say we get the politicians we deserve Which is pretty frightening I'll tell
1: you what, also the the BBC uh, They've don't get much right, but they've worked out uh, how Jeremy Hunt's second name really should be pronounced. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, they really have. Yeah. There was
0: a great, I mean, talking of the politicians we deserve, Liz Truss, we have, we have to mention her as well, obviously, because uh, <laughs> that press conference yesterday was the most, one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. um, and there was a, a great sort of um, tweet put out yesterday by somebody from the Scotsman. And she came out and did that thing where she was clearly looking for people because she'd been told you better go to Chris. And she's going, uh, uh, uh Chris and it was like he said you know this is what you look like when you're at the end of a night and you're in the kebab shop and you've got <laughs> to the front of the queue and you yeah. kind of go i don't know what to have but uh i had no idea list trust could be this bad <laughs> yeah yeah
2: i think that list trust is the invention of the new tory party yeah where you basically uh sort of select people on the on the basis of their technocratic outlook mm. yep. and uh basically the, the mantra in the tory party which you have to internalize, is follow the evidence. Mm. Have you ever heard that expression? We're just following the evidence. Well, oh, it, God. And that's what that's what Liz Truss well, does. Well,
3: it's a, a huge disappointment to me, because Liz Truss is one of the few politicians brave enough to stand up and say sex is a real thing, and you should be allowed to talk about it. Yes. So I had high hopes. I thought this is a person of courage who believes in reality. So the disappointment's even more crushing think, you know, But you
1: know, those... the, the um, during the leadership race, uh, Penny Morden was reborn about that. They all changed their minds because it became one of the tropes of the leadership yeah. contest that they all had to say a woman is a woman, a biological man can't be a woman. It, it, it was uh, seen as a popular thing to say. So Penny Morden completely changed her tune on that sort of thing. So I wouldn't put too much store by uh, Liz Truss's genuine belief in well, it. They well, actually I also th- did, th- I they know, that's also a bit
3: unfair, though, because she did stand firm against the reform to the Gender Recognition Act, mm. and there was a lot of pressure. That was when it was still considered... I mean, that's when women like me were still being reported to and recorded yeah. by the police yeah. for yeah. saying that sex a Is that the one thing? thing she actually has stood firm yeah. on? Though,
0: because yeah, because going to say much. she's not famous for standing no. firm yeah. on things, I mean, this is the she? thing. I mean, she was being sort of hailed as a new type of uh, prime minister because she could change her mind. But, you know, yeah. we didn't want to change her mind every single day. <laughs> no, no, you no. know? We thought we might... Yeah, I've got this thing. new uh,
1: chance with the exchequer. Wait a minute, I've changed <laughs> my mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but
2: when she said that sex is a real thing, I think she was talking about her personal life. Yeah. Yes, right <laughs> then. Uh, sort of <laughs> there's a few stories there <laughs> as there's well. Nothing, there's nothing worse than, a,
0: than politicians and sex, really. I think see, they shouldn't talk about football or sex, really. Yeah. I think that's the point. But let's um, go back to the beginning, Frank and, and Sarah, because for people who don't know who you are, I'm sure there aren't many in the room. But tell us a bit about yourself and what you do.
2: Well, I'm by uh, training a, a sociologist, a professor of sociology, but I'm involved in a lot of free speech campaigns. I'm very active. Uh, sort of politically. I'm very passionate about freedom which has taken over my life and uh, most of my books in some shape or form reflect that. My new books come out this week called The Road to Ukraine How the West Lost Its Way and I wrote it mainly because the one thing you can say about the Ukrainians is that they take their freedom seriously right. and we can all learn from their example how important it is that we stand up and fight rather than uh, submit to the pressure and in, in the Ukraine the attack on freedom is obvious and it's physical and it's murderous in our own country attacks on freedom is much more ambivalent and it's under the surface and you and i are supposed to censor ourselves that's what they want us to do mm. so we just learn to shut up yeah. rather than express and a lot voice. of
0: people do censor themselves out, don't they?
2: too true too true and this is the biggest tragedy when you have university students prime of their youth watching their words I was watching
1: uh, uh, Piers Morgan, this is a little plug for talk TV here, so few people know about it. Uh, Piers Morgan was interviewing Jordan Peterson a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and he's always impressive, but he said something that really struck a chord with me, and he said, uh, in order to uh, adhere, to conform to the woke orthodoxy, we are required to lie. In other words, Mm -hmm. we are required to say, that bloke in a dress with a beard is a woman mm. and if you say no that's a bloke uh, in a dress with a beard you're cancelled yeah. and that is uh, very very frightening yeah. that is an affront to our freedom it really mm. is and sarah this brings me
0: to you because your work is very much in that area isn't it yeah until
3: 2019 i was living a relatively blameless life as just a middle-aged <coughs> barrister then one board afternoon i was scrolling on twitter and I saw the NSPCC, you no, know, yes, saying that they were going to report people to the police for objecting to the fact that one of their employees had filmed himself in a rubber suit masturbating at one of their offices. So I wrote um, a short email saying that's not on, hmm. and the rest is history. Harry Miller saw it, he rang me up and said, Do you want to join Fair Cop, which had just started, and now Fair Cop has. Uh, led to the Bad Law Project. Mm. So we're developing a battle fund, because we need to get some money, we've got lawyers on standby, and we're now, it's like whack-a-mole, every single day. The Bad Law Project (laughs) is writing another letter to another police force. The recent debacle you probably all saw was Devon and Cornwall, Mm. who um, tweeted out some completely erroneous definition of a hate crime, mixing it up with hate incident. Faircock tweet account pointed this out and was blocked. Mm. So a couple of (laughs) letters later, they've unblocked us and issued an apology, which is lovely, but we should not have to be doing this in 2022. It's really alarming. Why do you
1: think uh, police forces have become like this? Uh, We're talking about chief constables mainly. I mean, they are told day in, day out that the public don't like this, and yet, incorrigibly, they will not change their ways. The
3: risk of sounding like a conspiracy theorist... I think the ground has been laid for this over decades. I don't know if you read Denton's, the law firm, published its how to get legislation through stealthily. I didn't read that one, but. Yeah, uh, (laughs) a couple of years ago, caused a big stir, quite foolish of them to make it public, I think, but it was clearly saying, if you've got these ideas, you can get them in, Legislation that's more popular, just just slide it in, and no one will notice. And I think that's exactly what happened with transgender identity becoming a monitored strand for hate crime. It was slid in mm. to legislation in mm-hmm. 2015 that removed legal aid from civil proceedings. So of course everyone's focus was on that. Everyone was going, "This is appalling." And then slipped in was a little um section saying transgender identity is now a monitored strand for hate crime. Not misogyny, not sex. Transgender th- th- identity. There's
2: another thing which is. If you look at the leading members of the police force, all the commissioners, where where are they educated? Where do they get their ideas from? And these days, they go to the universities. Uh, If you want to be an inspector, you go on a university course for two or three months. What do you learn in those courses? Well, what you learn in those courses is precisely about uh, woke ideology. You learn about the, the importance of fighting hate. You learn about diversity. I mean, it's non-stop diversity. So when you come out... You know, you've been given a script. This is the script. Have you for have been brainwashed. A, totally, basically. you've been indoctrinated. And many of them, even if they're cynical about it, even that their common sense says, this is stupid, they still know that for their career, yeah. it's important to talk the talk.
0: Yeah, skills are similar. I mean, my kids have got um, pretty reasonable views about most things, but, but you know, I'm surprised sometimes when, when we have conversations around the dinner table, you know, what's going on. I mean, everyone that they know, knows somebody who's got a trans kid. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's becoming a thing. And I was saying, you've just explained it basically, but I've been saying for for many months, you know, when did this all happen? You know, when did we suddenly wake up and we were in this weird world where what you you see is not what you get? Can I give you another
3: example from law? In 2016, we had a very interesting case where mermaids were involved and they were heavily criticized. And this little boy was four, and his mother said he disdained his penis and he was removed from her care under risk of significant harm, and mermaids were involved in pushing that. Fast forward to 2019, we then have a High Court judge who can see nothing at all peculiar about two foster children, so they're not related, aged four and seven, transitioning.
1: Yeah. But the most shocking manifestation of this insane wokery that has engulfed this country is, of course, the Tavistock Clinic, mm-hmm. at Frankenstein's Castle, where grown adults performed experiments on children uh, to change their gender, mm. to change their lives, to give them these beta blocking drugs uh, which would p- change their lives forever. It's just extraordinary. But that was, an well, it remains an NHS clinic. It is still operating. I mean, it's being closed down, but it is still there doing its thing. But, it's extraordinary. Fred, how, how did that happen? Yeah, but also, how
0: is it possible for everything to have become so polarised? You know, because I'm not um, what I would consider to be um, anything, you know, I'm not really against anything. I'm quite happy for people to do whatever they want to do. You know, if you want to, you know, identify as a duck, Be my guest, I don't really mind. If you want me to quack at you, maybe I won't. But the point is, at the end of the day, surely... Oh, the microphone's now sounding a bit different. I don't know what's happening there. You know, because there will genuinely be people who are born into the wrong gender. There will genuinely be people, presumably, who want to transition to a different gender. And so we should allow that, presumably. But, but So how do, we, how do we find ourselves in this kind of place where everybody is either on one side or the other, and there's but, no middle ground, there's no grey
2: area? Well, you know, the interesting thing is, it's not just the, the trans issue, but every single identity group uh, for whom their identity is really all-encompassing, this is who they are, mm. you know, this, is, this is really me. They, they actually feel that if you raise some questions about their ideas, you're not criticizing their ideas, you're calling their very persona into question. Mm. So a lot of them experience what I say or what you might say as, in, as not just simply a criticism, but as an annihilation of their existence. And they become so badly imbued with this that this becomes the norm. Now, you mentioned the Tavistock Clinic. Most people don't know, but even before the transition kicked in, that clinic, has, which, was, which was set up back in the 40s, a long, long, long time ago, has been in the forefront of medicalizing everyday life. They're the ones that have uh, almost literally invented what today we call the mental health crisis, where every, you know, every personal problem that we have these days is not seen as a mental health issue. You know, if you're shy, you've got social phobia. If you're, if you're, you're chi-
1: grieving, if you're grieving for a lost relative, you've yeah. got a mental health issue. I, no, you're not. I, exactly. You're sad. <laughs> exactly. That's not so, mental health.
2: So, so they've been accomplices, I mean, systematically in changing British culture. and So when the transition comes along, that was like you know baby heaven for them. That was like what they were really looking for because now they could find a new area to make an impact. And in sociology, we call them moral entrepreneurs. They basically you know, sort of hustle and create a little industry around their ideas. And, and there is and a lot of money to be made, isn't there? A lot of money, but the, the, it's not even the money. The worst thing is the insidious impact, a corrosive impact, That they have on public life, because after a while, it's the clinic that says that they're experts, they're Mm -hmm. doctors, and people defer to that, not realizing that they're just, you know. What's this
1: about, though, Frank? Is it it control?
2: No, well, I think they actually have this. They actually have this diminished view of what a human being is. They think that people are not citizens, but they're more like patients. I mean, they do treat us like potential patients rather than, you know, grown-up individuals, and it's part of their. Strategy of infantilizing everyday life. I mean, the whole transition is a prime example of the way in which, you know, if a four year old child can decide <laughs> that they're transitioning, yes. that is like the re- reverse of infantilization. That's called the adultification of childhood.
3: Mm. And it's about seeing children not as human beings, but simply as pawns who are expendable and used for your ideology. There's a really chilling um, talk given by an American surgeon who's saying, oh, cut the breasts off. If they want breasts later on, we can put them back on. Oh. Treating human bodies literally like bits of Lego. And that's OK because it's in pursuit of this ideology. You see, my favourite law is the law of unintended consequences because it's all-powerful. And this is what happens when you seed law and policy to those with vulnerable personalities who make it all about their identity. We are now reaping um, what we've sown.
0: And is it also about the fact that the metropolitan kind of attitude, the metropolitan elite, you like are the ones who are pushing it um, I'm pretty sure if you go to uh, we went to the show up in Wall's End uh, Newcastle um, I haven't seen a poorer place in Britain I don't think um, I don't think if you walk around the streets of Wall's End where there are no cars parked because nobody can afford one by the way um, they're not going to be saying the most important issue in our world is, is gender identity well, they I, don't care
2: except except for one thing I think you're right but the, the tragedy is that in their schools, the young children, when they're six, seven, or eight, are being indoctrinated mm. to normalize this way of thinking. And you, you'll find that in, even in relatively deprived areas of our country, a lot of young kids think it's very, very cool. You know, sort of. So I, I did an interview with some some parents, and they were saying that once one girl comes back from school and says, "Hey, Dad, uh, uh, I think I'm a boy." then her girlfriends will say that, and other girls, and it becomes a, con- a, a kind of it's a trend. And, and, no can, and
3: can I just jump in and say why this is so terrifying? I work in family law, mainly child protection proceedings, so children who are removed from families and taken into care because they're at risk of significant harm. There have been clear assertions from the social work profession that to deny a child's trans identity is a risk factor, and you can expect to be investigated. There's a high correlation in areas of deprivation and increased care proceedings. So these are parents who are facing enormous economic challenges, who may not be highly educated, who are having a middle-class social worker telling them, if you refuse to be on board with this, then you're no longer fit to be a parent.
1: And the, the, the sort of flames of this scourge are, of course, fanned by the teaching industry. Teachers, you know, they are indoctrinating generations of kids into a whole new way of thinking, which uh, to say yeah. the least is scientifically dubious. And let's go
0: back to the political side of all of this, uh, guys, because there is a problem with opposition in this country. I mean, Keir Starmer is it uh, yeah. for the moment. Maybe he will be the next Prime Minister, which is a pretty terrifying thought uh, for most of us. I don't think anybody wants the Tories anymore. I yeah. think they're finished. I don't think anybody cares who comes in next. And that's a really bad place, I think, for the country to be. But on this sort of issue, on these, on these culture war issues, as they say, I mean, nobody has any disagreements. You know, everybody in the House of Commons is on the same page. Right?
2: And, and the House of Lords. Yeah. It's interesting how the entire political class thinks the culture war is a diversion. Some of them even deny that it exists. Mm. They say, oh, Frank, how can you talk about a culture war? It's just a fiction. Yeah, that's right. And they themselves are complicit mm. yeah. in promoting the kind of laws that. Uh, you know, Sarah was talking about, you know, that, that they're the ones that create them, and they don't, oh, it's not a culture war. This is just a sensible way of... It's where I the Tories have
1: gone so badly wrong. Boris was appalling on all this. Yeah. Uh, they basically turned around, shrugged their shoulders they did, they about did. all of this, well, they, as they, if it's not important. They haven't had an effective uh, but it's, opposition. It's, per, it's very pernicious what's going mm. on. Uh, yeah. and, and although we've ostensibly had a, a Conservative government for 12 years, what has happened... Under their auspices is the rise and rise of this kind of left-wing uh, woke blob, and uh, this country is actually governed by them because the politicians are kowtowed by these people and they basically do what they say. And the Tories, particularly Boris, should have stood up against it, and they have not. But, but isn't haven't. that because he didn't really believe in anything? Well, no, because no, because, I, because he's a
2: metropolitan elite. Yeah, but they were they were worse than the Labour Party. I mean, it, look at Theresa May and Penny Mordaunt, all these people. They were much more complicit in bringing in all these horrible things. But if
3: you don't have an effective opposition, this is exactly what happens when your opposition is Keir Starmer saying, in terms, it is wrong to say that a woman has a cervix. So this, there was nobody holding them to account. So this is what we slide into then.
0: It is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, I was watching a clip of that woman uh, who was nominated to the Supreme Court in America, the first black uh, advocate to be put in there, and she refused to answer the question. She was asked... You know, can you define a woman? And she just said, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm what, not going to do about? that. And well, she went... Loads and loads of said, them did it here. And then she said, I'm yeah. not, her, her reasoning was, I'm not an expert in biology. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, you are actually a woman, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's incredible, isn't
1: it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, enough British politicians have been there, there. There was that phase when they were all asked, can you define yeah. a woman? Well, no, I mean, when we were... And they would a, not answer. Well, there was a time whenever you got a Labour politician on... Yeah, you, you asked know, you them. You just say, can you define a woman? Oh, yeah. well, you know...
0: It's very difficult, it's It's very complicated complicated. It's not actually (laughs) But
3: Mike, it's going back to the point that you made Yeah, of course, there are going to be people who don't like their bodies I don't like my body, I was born disabled I've got to get on with it There are going to be people who don't like the body they've got They think if they dress or act or are called something else That will make them happier And great, I've got no problem Mm. with that And they should be protected from abuse They shouldn't be sacked because of it But the underlying physical reality never changes When I've got an artificial leg It'll be very wrong of you to shout abuse, say, oh, pug leg. It yeah. would be very wrong for someone to sack me. But I can't make you believe that I have two real legs yes. because I don't. But also, and you didn't exactly walk in here with thing. a big
0: sign saying, I've got a, you know, a fake leg. Am I allowed to call it a fake leg?
3: Yeah, call, call um, it what you like. <laughs> you <know>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've got a fake leg and it's every time... It's a, it's a strange name for it. Remember.
3: No, no, but the analogy, Mike, I'm making is it was I walked in with a big sign what saying... What would you call it,
1: then? <laughs> I don't know. No, <laughs> see? Artificial. He artificial. Yeah. artificial. He can't define
3: it. He can't define it. What do you call in, it, sir? Artificial? I, just, I call it an artificial leg. There you go. But, but, the, but the analogy I'm making is if I walked in with a big sign saying, look at me and my two lovely legs, yes. everyone believe... That's actually that's quite dangerous. Doing, I mean, on an aeroplane, I can't sit in certain places right. because I would impede the exit of everyone else. Mm-hmm. So disabled people are told, you go and sit at the back, able-bodied to right. the front. But but that's life. You've got to master the language. Yeah. So, you've so You've got to, say, you've got to yeah. say,
1: my artificial leg is uh, identifying as a real leg. Yeah. 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 <laughs> then, we, then we all have to accept well, exactly. it is a real I leg. Mean, you yeah.
3: laugh, but this, this whole Leicester police are doing a hate crimes campaign. They've got a picture of a person called Jane. Now, I'm not wishing to be unkind, but Jane was very clearly for the first 50 years of Jane's life, a man. And Jane has now put on a wig and is saying it's really hurtful when people use the name I used to be called. And that's being trumpeted by Lester as a hate crime. It is not a hate crime. And it's really, really troubling that the police are now at the vanguard of telling us that these kind of things ought to be criminal. Because it's easy
1: to police. Uh, And, uh, you know, on the subject of hate crimes, I mean, Tony Blair brought in hate crimes in 1997, the first laws in this country, I think, since the 16th century, uh, which made something that you might say illegal. Before that... Uh, you could say anything. It was impossible to commit a crime for what you said. Uh, ever since then, the floodgates have been opened. Of course, Gordon Brown added to the mix. You know, so Tony Blair brought in, I think. Uh, uh, race hate, and then Gordon Brown put in homophobia, transphobia, a yeah. uh, 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 disabled phobia, etc., etc., etc. Now you know it, it's horrible to be hateful about uh, p- people, but it should not be a crime. And making uh, statements a crime was the worst thing that's ever happened to this country. Look at the state of us yeah. now. It well, is. you ended up in court, didn't you? Well, yeah. Kevin. I mean, <laughs> I speak from experience. I mean, it is quite hateful. But I mean, tell, <laughs> yeah, us, yeah.
0: tell us briefly what happened.
1: Well. Uh, I was on a train uh, some years ago. I'd been to a, a colleague's funeral down in Kent, and I was discussing, uh, talking with a, another colleague on the train. We were having a chat, uh, and it, I, th- I think it was about football or something. Anyway, this guy... Uh, Turned out he was a lecturer from your university, Frank, uh, Kent University. Thank you. <laughs> I want you to go and have a word with him. In fact, beat him up for me. Uh, he, he, uh, he he stood up and said, and just shouted at us. I will not tolerate your misogynistic language for one moment longer. And we were, we went, what, what? <laughs> uh, to cut a long story short, it turned out that in those days I was on the telly quite a lot, and uh, he'd recognised me and thought I was a Fleet Street fascist. May well have been right, actually. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> he he, um, he sort of towered over me, and I was just said, "Go away, go away." <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the, the trains got pulled up at the next station, and the cops got on, and God knows what. And uh, the British Transport Police uh, called me down for an uh, interview, and uh, I said, well, you know, what's what's? i said, well, there's no problem, because he's not pressing charges, but we just wanted to have a word with you. You, you can't behave like that. I so, said, well, I didn't do anything. Uh, anyway, so oh, I, I just dropped He was a, accusing you of misogyny. He basically. was calling me misogyny, uh, hate language, hateful language about women. Uh, and assaulting him he actually hit me Uh, anyway which I didn't care about but uh, so they so they said anyway we just wanted to have a word with you which in itself is quite sinister and chilling you know uh, but the the case won't go any further about two weeks later I get a summons Uh, I'm I'm gonna be done for um, actual bodily harm uh, homophobically aggravated actual bodily harm so this saga went on for two years. It cost me £60,000. I had to hire a barrister, ended up in court for two uh, strange days. And at the end of it, uh, the judge said, uh, said to me, I'm really sorry, you should never have been here. This is an outrage. I was completely acquitted. Uh, but it just goes to show that in this day and age, you know, we live in the age of the accusation. You know, once you are accused, you are now guilty. You, you, you It's not you, you. are not innocent until proven guilty. You are innocent until you are accused. Uh, anyway, that was so. That was a, a hate crime that I was accused of, and I think it's typical of so many hate crimes. They are a device by which. Your colleague, people like your colleague, who turned out, of course, to be a left wing extremist. uh, They're a device by which they hit hit people like us over the head with. I mean, my experience
3: hasn't been as bad as yours, but I just thought, can I try a quick experiment? If anybody in this room can guess what the police recorded the following tweet under the heading of, it was a tweet where I said, My dog would call me a Nazi for cheese. And then it's a picture of my dog looking really cute. Can you guess what they recorded that as? Uh, uh,
2: G- cheese hater. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it was recorded along with 12 pages of my tweets as hatred towards transgender individuals. Right. Sorry? No. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, it took me a year to get them to delete it. I had to threaten them with lawyers and they paid £12,000 of my costs. But I was recorded by Wiltshire Police as a barrister posting hate for that. How did they make
0: that connection? Did they <clears throat> explain it?
3: Because somebody malicious, this is entirely the problem behind these, because it's malicious people, uh, made a report against me. And simply, what he'd done, he'd gone to my Twitter feed, he'd searched for the word Nazi, trans, police, and anything that came up, he reported. And they had to record it. This is the thing. The mm. police were given no leeway. They're not allowed to challenge the rationality or the sense of the reporter. <coughs> they just assume that it's awful, and they And and how does this
1: industry uh, continue? How does it prosper? I'll tell you how. Uh, It it, it is the police who, uh, for reasons that are beyond me, uh, record, write down what they call non-crime hate incidents. Uh, So that is... Isn't uh, that supposed to have been reversed? Well, this makes it look as if uh, incidents of hate crime against trans people are spiralling. It hasn't
3: been reversed, but the Court of Appeal said this... Recording of perception based yeah, yeah, reporting yeah. is unlawful yeah. because it's not, the police didn't so give why any are they consideration doing it? it's to it's Article 10. It's not a crime. Why are they but doing there's, there's
2: it? there's a very, I mean, underneath the law and everything else, there's a very powerful cultural pressure mm. in this direction. It's, and that's the insidious bit because if you watch any TV program on Netflix or on any other uh, medium, the values they promote are precisely these that that <laughs> people who are Part of the, the heteronormative lobby are horrible. People who are trans are automatically very sensitive and, by definition, phenomenally brave. I mean, every, every, every character, seriously, I mean, it's so watch something like brave. brave victims. Yeah. And you watch that program called Sex Education.
0: Because this entire show lasted for an hour and a half, we've split it into three separate podcasts. That was the end of part one. Stay tuned on The Thought Police for parts two and three.